This meeting is being recorded. So welcome everyone. So uh, today we are doing uh, six, six dot six to ten, and uh, anyone wants to chant, and then probably we can go for last week's summary. I can chant. The only problem I have now is I don't have my reading glasses, so okay. a little bit of a challenge. I can still. Uh, you want to go, go, Rajesh? Go ahead. Yeah. We'll see if anybody else wants to chant. Otherwise, I can. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me chant. Bandhuratmaatmanastasya yenaatmai vatmanajita. Anatmanastu shatrutve varte tatmaiva shatruvatu jitatmanaf prashantasya paramatma samahitaha shitoshna sukhatukkeshu tathamanavamanayo jnana vijnana truptatma Kutastho vijitendriyaha yukta ityuchate yogi samaloshtashma kanchanaha suhrun mitrar yudasina madhyastadvesha bandushu sadhushvapichapapeshu samabuddhir visushyate yogi yunjita satatam Atmanam rahasisthitaha yekaki yatachitatma nirashira parigraha. So, in this in Shloka 9, right, my Guru has taught me that uh, you have to read the entire line without a break in between. So, so that's something that, that that's pretty interesting. It, it was pretty hard for me to do it two years back. Now it's getting easier. All right. So uh, last week I was not there. So would anyone of you want to summarize last week quickly? Go, Subhu, go. I just, uh, sorry, I just uh, lost my glasses. So I'm okay. just trying to take my notes out. No I think 6.1 uh, is more about the fact that, you know, um, he's a sannyasana and a yogi who performs duty without expecting the fruits of action. Okay, not someone who is uh, renounced actions externally. So this is more a hint towards, you know, uh, internal uh, purification, you know, and uh, attainment of, uh, uh, you know, the yogic state rather than external, you know, uh, you know, uh, show of, uh, you know, being uh, dressed in a certain robe or, you know, performing certain rites and scriptures. I think that was 6.1. Um, 
then uh, it says basically sanyasi or yoga are basically two sides of the same coin okay right so basically uh, yoga cannot happen without the you know uh, renouncing the uh, fruits of action and when you actually start performing when you start performing karma yogi and you know at some point in time uh, you can only renounce the actions and you know be immersed in god so that itself brings you to the you know state of sanyasa you know uh, so basically it is the uh, you know two sides of the same coin yoga is nothing but union with god so basically uh, it is about the merging of the individual consciousness with the divine consciousness and sanyasa sanyasa is basically renunciation of action uh, which can only happen when you have love for god so i think the important point here is the art of uh, renouncing sankalpas right um, i think uh, krishna brought out beautifully last time i still remember you know how krishna moves from chapter 2 to chapter 6 you know starting with karma palatyagam and then renouncing the mind and then finally asking you to renounce the sankalpas itself i think that was point number 2 and then uh, you know working in the world uh, you know you need to work without egocentric desires and actions um, because um, you know uh, you don't by doing so you're not actually adding to the vasanas that are already created right um so therefore um you know one should actually you know move from a state of aruruksh which is a start to basically yoga aruddh okay um so basically starting with ego and egocentric desires he tends to cleanse his mind and then he would skip the uh, and then next step into you know deeper meditation okay it is when that you can actually you know stop activities it's not in the beginning so in the beginning we are talking about you know how we should use uh, you know uh, the rajasic desires to basically get into action propel into action then move from rajas to sattva and then when you come to that state is when you can actually renounce action right so i think it's important to understand that deep meditation is what is recommended but deep meditation is not for the start it is for the person who is evolved okay uh, that was the other thing that came up then uh, okay withdrawal is only that is 6.4 withdrawal from activity is only recommended for those who have reached the state of yogurud then not before that okay um and one who has gained complete mastery over his mind is the one who has not only withdrawn from uh, sense uh, sensual activities and activity but also has dried up his sankalpas and disturbances by which he is uh, you know able to elevate himself and of course the five star shloka udre tatmanam atmana na atmanam avasaryet atmaiva hyatmano bandur atmaiva rupuratmanah okay so basically i think sakuba shared the vk's translation of that um, and also he mentioned that this is one of the shlokas where you have seven times the word atma repeated in the shloka right and uh, it is uh, something that actually extends into 6.6 as well but i think uh, what it actually says is uh, yeah what it actually says is that one has to uplift himself by himself the mind is the um you know best friend or the worst enemy depending upon how you want to drive it whether you want to drive it externally towards the sense objects and the sense organs or you want to go inside uh, within uh, by actually moving towards the intellect and therefore being in unison with the uh, you know the brahman itself so that's about it i think uh, these were the five uh, shlokas uh, which i thought was discussed i think i missed it i was in the flight i missed it the i don't know whether 7:30 to 8 i didn't see the recording so maybe krishna you can add because yesterday last time you were beautiful hmm? yeah no no <laughs> thanks so much you summarized it yeah. very well i think that's pr- pretty much what we mainly covered and i think we were uh, going around sharing uh, not not directly from the gita but mostly sharing around lot of meditation experiences how what various folks have done what method they do and how it has helped them or i think the main question was does it help and it was resoundingly uh, big yes that a lot of people chimed in with their personal experiences uh, how it has helped 
Sure. I too loved uh, 6.5. Uh, that that is just like a capsule, nice udre atmana atmanam. Like yeah. the Bhagwan is going to be the greatest. As Swamiji puts it, the Bhagwan and the Guru are your greatest cheerleaders. But you still have to run the race. Correct. They will stand yeah. by the stands and then they will give you all the uh, motivation you need. But you have to run the race yourself. Yeah, I think that's the point, right? Uh, you can have a guru, but the guru can only guide you and give you the direction. But the path has to be walked by you. So that is this uh, sloka all about. And uh, I think, yeah, and it's also quoted many times in all the lectures. You know, this particular sloka stands out. You know, uh, this one and one more. I think Yomam Paschati Sarvatra, which comes later in the chapter six. Yeah, uh, the who he who sees everybody. Uh, you know, everything in me, and you know. yeah i think that's that's a good summary thank you so much and i also uh, listened to the recording and i really enjoyed to the discussions what what you guys were having on that and and um, uh, i think uh, one one thing that 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 stands out is in terms of uh, the clarity of what meditation is it's not what the western western uh, world says meditation and then sit down and with your closed with your closed eyes and you know do some breathing and then say okay i meditated for 5 minutes and all that and that's uh, that's not what it is so uh, especially you know in these days when when uh, uh, when the companies are sponsoring this emotional and you know mental well being and all that you know it's it seems to me that they focus on a totally different concept of what meditation is which is which is which is fine i have nothing against it but it's just that it's probably you know only one aspect of it and and in this group we should recognize that you know uh, that's what it is right that's that's a key caution that I, i would like to say here all right so let's start off with uh, the uh, aha moments from 6 6.6 to 10 anyone would like to start off today okay uh, let me go for it yeah all right yeah. uh, i think uh, <clears throat> i've just made some notes on all the five shlokas uh, you know shloka number 6 i think he continues from you know 6.5 where he says that you know mind is the best friend and the worst enemy right and he holds people accountable for all their actions by saying that you know one can slide to demonic levels also but one can also elevate themselves to higher levels depending on how they use their mind okay uh, satyasabha used to say that you know master the mind and be a master in fact there is a book right uh, available which says uh, master the mind and be a mastermind i think these two shlokas really uh, you know uh, you know uh, talk loudly about it i think the point one more point that came across was uh, you know the inner enemies here are more dangerous than the external ones right um, so we all know that um, you know uh, the inner enemies that we are talking about here is kama krodha lobha moha madha matsalyam um, and here he says that you know the illness is not caused only by bacteria and viruses but it also due to the illness of the mind and somewhere the inner enemies are more dangerous than the external ones uh, the reasons this that i think uh, external enemies can you know uh, come and go but somewhere you know whenever we have an unpleasant experience we tend to actually uh, you know stick on to and hold on to some of the unpleasant experiences which the mind has actually gone through um, you know we have seen this even in daily action that um, you know somebody might have said something very uh, nasty um, you know we probably are hurt 
maybe we will reconcile um, you know by saying we have forgiven him but we don't forget it so easily and uh, we tend to sort of uh, you know uh, keep that for a longer duration of time hence the external event would have happened occurred and gone but uh, you know what you harbor inside stays on for a longer time it lingers on and therefore creates a lot more you know illness for the mind and therefore to the body as well right so that is the other point i took from that sloka the second uh, i mean uh, sloka for the week which is uh, sloka number 7 uh, the mind actually you know has a choice of living in two realms okay two kingdoms one is uh, either it decides to work you know in the worldly level of maya and uh, driven by senses and sense organs uh, or it could be in a state of samadhi where it is in union with god you know uh, in a different state so the mind has two options so if you look at the koshas also Uh, you know the anamaya kosha pranamaya kosha mano you know uh, manomaya and then vigyanamaya the mind is right in between so it is it can either turn inward or it can go outside right if it turns outside it actually moves you know through the sense organs and goes gets more attached to the sense objects but if it turns inward it can have the power of discrimination the power of intellect etc coming uh, to its uh, you know rescue um right and therefore here it is extremely important to see that you are able to you know subdue your mind to a large extent uh and hold it between the body and the sense objects and then uh, you know uh, work towards uh, observing whatever happens in the world as a witness i think one example was uh, the fact that you know if you are standing by the bank of the river whatever happens you know uh, to the river uh, you know is doesn't really affect you because you are standing as a witness observing everything that is happening the same thing is if you share stand on the shore and observe the waves go up and down or the turbulence that is there then you know you're seeing it only as a witness but if you are in the ocean itself then you experience the you know um, uh, vicissitudes of life the way it is uh, experienced uh, shloka number 8 i think some takeaways there is about gyana and vigyana okay and i think uh, what gyana and vigyana says here is gyana is about the knowledge uh, which i think all of us are right now experiencing because uh, we are reading some text uh, there is a guru for some etc but vigyana is actually spiritual awakening right so what it actually means is that you know uh, somewhere i think from gyana the yogis actually has both gyana and vigyana okay um, so i think it is important to have the spiritual awakening and for that spiritual awakening i think the only thing that is required is to be a sincere seeker right um, it's like you know theory and practice so you know you know the knowledge but then you will have to start applying that knowledge in daily life to be uh, more practical uh, you know in being able to follow the you know the essence of that particular sloka right um as i move forward i think i think 9 and 10 he goes ahead right he talks about uh, equal vision i think he brings the concept of equanimity again um where i think uh, it is not just about you know um subduing your mind but also you know generating equal vision uh for uh, you know all pairs of opposites and dualities that is there etc and seeing you know friends and foes alike and i think um, you know the reference uh, which i think chinmay also talks about is that he talks about three pairs of opposites right uh, the first pair is you know related to joy and uh, um uh, i think you know hot and cold which is related to the you know the pair of opposites of which the body experiences then you have basically you know joy and sorrow which is the mind which is experiencing and then you have honor and dishonor which is experienced by the intellect so he says that you know i think that was very beautiful for me yeah, to understand it in a, in that light that the specific opposites given there had as reference to body mind and intellect so i think that was a beautiful uh, you know uh, learning uh, of course uh, this again culminates into isha's uh, isha vasyam idam sarvam that is you know seeing everybody you know every everyone as a form of god 
and uh, you know uh, also if you see in the purusha suttam it is written that you know purusha evegum sarvam that is you know the god is there everywhere in this world and the 10th sloka was uh, interesting because um, while all this is being spoken about i think the 10th sloka is about how do you get to do this right how do you achieve this particular state i think two answers there uh, one is related to seclusion the other one is related to sadhana right uh, i think seclusion uh, because it is important for us to dedicate some time and you know uh, remove ourselves from the you know uh, external world to a large extent uh, you know be to be in contemplation with god and second is to be able to do the sadhana you know of being contemplating on god over a period of time and thereby attaining the mastery of mind and be untainted by what is happening around the world i think uh, this was my take for those five shlokas yeah over to you rajesh yeah Awesome, uh, Subud. Thank you so much. It was very beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, anyone wants to wants to take it on further from what Subud said? Comment on something what he said? And uh, so, one one quick thing I want to add is like a lot of the shlokas. This is a constant refrain. It's like a body, mind, intellect, body, mind, intellect. So these three things, or it will be the three gunas. And then one more thing that will also occur, like in the shloka ten, nirashi uh, apparigraha. and then keep the mind same so that is uh, don't think about the past don't think about the future don't stay in the present without without any agitation so that's like the other constant refrain that will constantly keep coming up so nirashi is uh, without hope that does not mean live in a hopeless state but more like don't be pondering about and live in the future about your results and then aparigraha uh, without greed is something that you have had loba which is for something that's raga which has happened in the past so don't try to build up on your past so instead just stay in the present but without any agitation so that's this three tense uh, theme also constantly keeps flowing through all the shlokas uh, very nice krishna so that was one addition and then one more uh, thing i saw in professor vk's book is he had like this nice on 6.6 uh from hitopadesha he had like a nice quote uh from uh, in sanskrit but the translation roughly goes like this this is about keeping oneself very controlled because he's saying you have to prepare for meditation and he says food sleep fear and reproduction are common to both humans and animals the only extra thing for a human is dharma and so if without dharma man is nothing but an animal so it's like a very nice two line uh, thing that this compels Hey, I just wanted to add uh, uh, one thing to what uh, Subhu and uh, Krishna too said. It's, um, it, I mean, you, you, both of you covered this beautifully. The one thing, uh, just before you all joined, Guntax and I were talking, and there's one uh, concept that I keep repeatedly seeing that we should realize is very different from. Uh, normal scientific understanding, which is we consider the body, the mind, the intellect, all of it part of uh, basic constituents. Um, whereas there is no real good definition of mind um, that we can find. Uh, that <laughs> kind of rhymed, but anyway, um, th- there is actually no real uh, definition. It's still. kind of a big area of research and everything but uh, it's extremely well defined by uh, by the yoga sutras and bhagavad gita and it's considered part of the basic elements 
so i find that extremely interesting because there's so much of thinking and meditation that has gone into it and um swami ji makes that comment in the in the first one i think in 6.5 i was just looking at it while you were talking subhu and um oh sorry yeah um he was just talking about uh, when you were saying let a man lift himself by his own self alone and for the self alone is a friend of oneself and this self is the enemy of oneself so so then he says a man should uplift himself by himself like what you said about the guru and the uh, you know the teachings and everything so uh, because the mind is a is a constituent we just need to realize that it is is what uh, i took away from that the body the mind the intellect all of the bmi are really not the part of the self that's the constant struggle right so that was a pretty good aha that's all yeah guns it's uh, yeah. beautiful like uh, to, so that like when i was initially going through these chapters that uh, comparing to modern neuroscience psychology psychiatry and biology so it's very interesting that un- undoubtedly mind and intellect are all classified as also matter there is no doubt at all matter like as as we uh, in the science world consider a solid liquid gas or plasma uh, mind and intellect are also kind of considered and another thing i see is like for the most part there is no it's it's always thought of as mano buddhi chittam and ahankar like those four are the constituents it's never called by brain they 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 say it's like a full constituent of your whole body this mind and intellect could come from anywhere the the brain is just like one golakam it's like the physical part that has like a capacity to express or create some of these things but it's never considered part of only those things these four just kind of are taken as matter that is part of the sukshma shariram and it just exists uh, as like a matter so that that i thought was a very beautiful insight never try to have a one on one map or try to understand through the science but see roughly some analogies where it helps but then you have to re- be ready to drop the analogies or comparison and then uh, go go with the uh, scriptures yeah yeah that's uh, that's the fundamental uh, difference or divergence you can call it no that's really awesome well summarized you know i think uh, uh, one insight that i've had uh, and i'm trying to combine uh, the learning that uh, i'm having from vishnu sahasranamam uh session that i'm attending separately right so there is one uh, namam of course this namam comes multiple times in in vishnu sasunamam it's called trivikramaha okay so apparently the story goes that uh, when uh, vamana vamana went to king bali and asked him for uh, three steps which we all remember from the amachitra katha that we read right so he does not ask for three i believe he asked for two plus one and there's a significance for that apparently so the significance is uh, uh, so the bali says yes i'm going to give you three steps so in the first step he covers you know the amarshitrakatha would have said that uh, he covers the all the you know earth and space and everything and uh, i mean earth and the second step he covers the heavens and the third step he puts it on the head that's how the amarshitrakatha states states but now with the learning what we are doing in terms of uh, the human human constitution and the human mind and uh, 
you know, the Manobuddhi, Chittam Ahankaram, and also uh, Krishna, to your points about how how the Western science looks at it from a mind perspective, right? So here is a connection. So, so he says two plus one. So two plus one means the first step when he covers, he actually covers the entire space. Okay, space as in um, the the it's a dimension of space. So anything that exists in space is what he covers, right? That number one. Second thing is he covers time dimension. So anything that exists in time dimension, he covers. Right. So that's another dimension what he covers. The third thing what he covers is Maya. So if you think about it, the way that he says is that the, the third step what he puts is on the head of uh, this guy. So there was some fundamental questions, right? If I'm if I'm if one step, if I'm covering the earth itself, then I'm already covering everybody and all the animals and birds and everything, and including Mahabali's head. So why should he take the third step and put it on him? That's the question that people will have. So the answer for that is it's not exact, exactly when he's putting the first step, he's not putting it on the earth. He's putting it in, in an element called space, okay, that has been created. And second step, he's putting it on an element called time. Without time, nothing happens, right? Because you can have the same space, but in a different time, it's a different space, actually. Okay. So as, likewise, the same thing, you know, the, in the same time, different space, uh, space can be different. That's the flowing of the river, right? The flowing of the river keeps on going. But when you're sitting there, it's the same river, but it's not exactly the same river. That's how you would see that. And then the last step, which is two plus one, and I'm, I'm, I'm ensuring that I'm repeating this two plus one for you to understand is that he puts it on his head because that is that in much Takata is presented as ego. But actually, if you think about it, that's actually subduing the Maya concept, what because of which this entire world is coming to it. So he 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 kind of you know presses it on his head and says, I'm going to get rid of your Maya and then puts him down to Rasatal and then protects him for some time till he becomes the next uh, whatever Indra or whatever, right? So at the end of the day, the uh, space time, these two dimensions is what the material world is all entirely living into. And the Maya world is something that the the material, the material sciences doesn't even understand it so far. But uh, spiritual sciences has said that these are the three dimensions that you have. So anything which is, which is uh, let's say, uh, with name and with, uh, uh, with, with shape in some form or the other is in the space and time and dimension. And, and even if you, even if you overcome the space and time dimension, still this, this thing called ahankar, which is there, right? That is what is needs to go finally the ego part of it. And then the other connection, what he made was mano buddhi chitta ahankaram, right? These four constituents. If you, I have not, not yet understood this, but I'm going to state it here. Um, just yesterday I learned about this. See, he says that uh, anything that goes on in the so-called manaha in, our, in, in, in the way that we understand mind is in the space dimension. Okay. And anything that's in the uh, time dimension is goes on in intellect. So the space dimension is actually apparently is bifurcated into smaller chunks by the mind and understood as such in terms of events, okay? Events and, you know, whatever, uh, people falling in particular time frame and things like that. But then these two are caused because there is an attachment to an element called uh, ego, without which the space and time dimension will actually vanish, okay? So you think about it this way, you know, when, when you're deep asleep, you don't know which space you are in, you don't know what time zone you are in. Right? That's because the ego at that point of time is quote unquote not, not existing. You don't even know whether you are a, you know, 
actually you don't know anything when you're deep asleep Very hey, nice uh, rajesh yes i also heard this you know that mind operates at four uh, levels right four different entities uh, mano chit mano buddhi uh, chitta and ahankar right when it actually is thoughts it is functioning as a mind when it creates the thoughts uh, when it actually starts to analyze decide it's called the buddhi uh, when it gets attached to a person object etc it becomes a chitta and uh, when it actually gets uh, identifies with the bodily identity and becomes proud of certain things like you know wealth and other things etc it becomes the ahankar right so mind itself is not just a bundle of thoughts as many people explain but there are four sections to it is what i also know yeah yeah one one general thing is like to step one like the hindi tamil word ahankaram is generally considered like pride and bad thing but in sanskrit aham karaha kara means do aham i do so it's the i maker so it's just the thing that like uh, so in the deep sleep as rajesh pointed out that's a karana shariram and you are kind of ignorance is bliss state but as swami says there is still ignorance everything is in potential form as soon as you get up uh, he, there is a very beautiful sanskrit uh, verse quoted so as soon as we get up just like wearing and shankaracharya quotes this uh, we as though we are wearing a uniform as soon as we get out of deep sleep we immediately put on our mind intellect and body on top of it <laughs> and then we start behaving and interacting with the world with that way just like wearing a uniform so everything is uh, gone to zero on deep sleep but still in the potential form then as soon as you get up then like all comes snaps snaps back immediately um, so one uh, another small uh, connection to that uh, trivikrama type of story it's the same uh, story with uh, markandeya to so uh, do you all know the story of markandeya Uh, yeah 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 so uh, so very shortly like uh, their parents want a son and god gives a choice like either you can have a son who will live only up to 16 or he will live very long but he'll be extremely sattvic or he will live very long and uh, it will not be like the ideal life so the parents choose for the short life but sattvic life and then uh, the parents are very worried at the time of 16 but then this uh, kid markandeya is extremely devoted to lord shiva and then like in the amarchitra katha comics and everything it's shown as though like at the age of 16 markandeya will be hugging the shiva and then when yama comes shiva will put the spear trishul uh, on on yama and then chase death away but the vedantic import is that uh, it's not physically anything is happening it is just at the age of 16 uh, markandeya has the realization to call himself chidananda rupa shivoham shivoham and he claims that i am beyond all these things so kala is yama kala is time and he says i negate all of you then what is the fear about death so that is the thing that he overcomes not not in a, a practical i am going to be more that, that also could be a parallel thing but mainly claiming shivoham uh, as one's own true self awesome anyone anyone else hey uh contacts i was talking on mute sorry i was going to just add i think uh, you know last year uh, manu was pointing out uh, this book the story of my 
No, no, no. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> Jill Bolte <laughs> Taylor. I think my Jill stroke Bolt of Taylor. insight, yeah. right? My stroke of insight. My stroke of insight. That's right. And um, uh, so I read that book and it talks about uh, the boundaries of space and time disappearing because a left brain stopped working because of that hemorrhage and all that. Uh, but the right brain was alive. So, of course, it's all researchy and uh, neuroscience uh, related. But she says that it was a very separate, unique type of feeling when she felt that way. Um, because she realized that there was, there was no boundary. She was not limited by space and time anymore while she was having that experience. Just in the space of four hours, she went from like this major uh, Harvard neuroscientist or neuroanatomist to, you know, realizing this, this type of feeling. So curiously, you know, why would, why would somebody want to give due credit to those kind of experiences without, very, without somebody is verifying it? I'm really surprised why the scientists and researchers actually take cognizance of that at all. Because, uh, Guntax, um, that's the world we live in. <laughs> well, I understand. I was not, uh, I was only saying that just because she goes with the tag of Harvard educated or whatever, right? You know, we start, uh, yeah. you know, when I say we, I don't mean this group. I mean, in general, the people, uh, people take more, give more credibility to it. It's just to add one more point. In that earlier discussion, uh, Rajesh, you know, when we said uh, it is actually mind is, you know, manas, uh, intellect, buddhi, chitta and ahankar. You know, um, I have heard Satya also say that, you know, um, the origin of sin, you know, is actually ego. Okay. So, so it's basically because of the ego that the mind starts to get, you know, att attached to the objects, right? The chitta. And then it super, you know, seeds the buddhi and, uh, you know, the manas, right? In actually doing what it actually ends up doing. So the, you know, origin of sin is actually ego. Um, without ego, if you were to just remove ego and look at those three parts, right? That is manas, intellect, and um, chitta. Okay. Uh, you would not be propelled into action for just having a set of thoughts, right? And um, unless until the thought gets, you know, uh, then it, the thought is getting reflected at the buddhi, right? And at the buddhi, the buddhi is actually discriminating and saying yes or no, you know, good or bad. You know, I should do this or I should not do this, right? And then you, it depends upon what decision then it flows here. But then the driving force for anything which is, uh, you know, not really the right way of conduct is coming from Ahankar is what he would say. You know, uh, the ego is the origin of uh, original place from where uh, origin from where sin actually emanates. So that's why they keep telling and uh, keep talking about, uh, you know, uh, you know, surrendering, you know, egocentric, uh, you know, egos and uh, this one, uh, not having egocentric uh, desires and actions. I think Manu's hand is up. Yeah. Hi, Manu. Manu. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, um, yeah, go ahead. I, go ahead yeah. <clears throat> no, I was just going to comment on what uh, Guns uh, spoke about that the book. Um, and, and Rajesh, your response to that was interesting. But I, um, the way I think about it, you know, if we can <clears throat> remove the labels, right? Okay, that person might be Harvard 
professor, whatever. We don't need to care about that. I agree with that. Uh, but even if they are, if they have something, you know, interesting to say, uh, we should not ignore it. Um, so I, I think if we remove the labels and just say, okay, this person is educated and she can provide, you know, one other perspective that we as, you know, non-neuroscientists and non-neuroanatomists would not know. Um, but I thought that book was really interesting. And, you know, thanks, Guns, for reminding me about it. Um, because she talks about how it is possible for everyone to achieve that state by sort of attempting to shut down one part of the brain. Because in her case, she says it happened because of the hemorrhage. But it, I think what she is trying to say is it is possible to get there. And you have to, you know, because it, it, it's the same kind of thing that we've been talking about, like live in the moment. You have to be in the moment, not, you know, constantly be thinking about the past or the future. And, and I thought that in her book, she very um, interestingly, you know, show, showcases how in her case, she had that happen. It was just a matter of chance for her. And of course, that's not the ideal way you know, we want to achieve that. But I think what she's basically indicating is that it is possible there, there, you know, there exists that ability of the mind to uh, be in the moment and not, you know, sort of be in the past and the future. Um, so, so I, I just wanted to make that comment. Yeah, agreed. Hey, thanks, uh, Manu. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add uh, the reality also is that, um, you know, we do have the brands, right? And the brand names. So let's take BITS itself. We, we came to BITS because we knew it was a good college. We've heard about it and people were talking about it. We know about the IITs and stuff like that. So similarly, uh, you know, Harvard, MIT, Stanford, Berkeley, we, we all want our kids to go to these good schools. They've got uh, brand names, they've got good caliber and so forth. So I think it's it's absolutely fine. It, it does get, um, it does get a lot more readership. You know, if you, if you advertise and market, and Guntax, this goes back to, I think uh, you were talking about marketing, applying marketing to Bhagavad Gita, right? Uh, two years ago. So it's, uh, I think it's similar to that. If we are able to do that proper marketing, then I think uh, these labels can fade away. But until that time, I think having the labels is actually not a bad thing. It's, it's really, a, it's a very good thing. You know, if I say that, go and read this book by Jill Bold Taylor. She was in Harvard. And in fact, when you sent that uh, reference, I, I got the book and then I sent her video, which is only about 20 minutes, uh, it's a TED talk, I think, uh, to all my friends, and they were all quite intrigued by it. So not all, but some. <laughs> um, anyway, that's just a... Yeah, that's that's probably getting a little off track from our, from our conversation today now. Yeah. So, so coming back to this, uh, this Loka 6.6 .6 to 6.10, uh, does anyone else have any other things that, that you want to add on to what we've been discussing so far? 
Um, something that struck me, okay, um, during this uh, reading, I think if you're really trying to walk this path, I think somewhere at the uh, sense of it, I think uh, there has to be some connect to the basic human values. I think Krishna touched upon that point, saying that, uh, you know, you have to be dharmic in your, you know, way of doing things, right? Um, so I thought the values of Satya Dharma, Shanti, Prema, Ahimsa plays an important role in the, you know, uh, in some anybody's journey in the spiritual uh, path. And um, what I then just sort of recollected was uh, what Satya Sai Baba used to say that um, if you really have to follow, you know, these values, um, it is okay if you follow one very strongly. Okay. Because if you were to just follow one, you would be following everything else. So it's it's like that, right? So if you follow Satya, you're not doing anything which is Adharma, okay? Then, you know, when you do Satya and Dharma, then you're in peace with yourself. Then when you're in Satya, Dharma, peace with yourself, then you have, you know, love for yourself and then love for everybody else and then compassion, everything. So everything just falls in line. If you just take one and start working towards it. And then he would go on to say, that even amongst the values that we're talking about, Satya, Dharma, Shanti, Prema, he says, the simplest thing to follow is Satya. Okay. So, you know, be true to yourself. Even if you're a spiritual seeker, I think it's very important to be true to oneself in the journey, right? Only then we will be able to sort of continue the journey going forward. And going further down, he would end up saying that even in Satya, he would give three rules. Okay. Rule number one is speak the truth. Okay. Um, the next one is, um, you know, don't speak the untruth. This is like exaggeration, right? Sometimes we tend to extrapolate a lot of things. So there is a kahavat there, you know, which says that satya to itna hi hai. Huh? Uh, and, uh, you know, it is just that point. Toda idhar gaye to udhar gaye to satya to sach to sach na rahe. Okay. Sach to itna hi hai. Toda idhar gaye to udhar gaye to sach sach na rahe. But jhoot ka to koi thikana hi nahi hai. Okay, so it is like, you know, luge, you know, everything else outside that single dot of satya is, you know, all, uh, you know, false, right? So second thing he would say is don't speak the untruth. And the third thing he would say is speak truth, which is palatable, right? Just because somebody is dark in complexion, says somebody is fat or somebody is tall or somebody is thin, you don't have to necessarily go ahead and say that, uh, you know, I'm speaking the truth, but, you know, end of the day, you're not really helping the cause, Right. Um, so these three things is what he would send. So if you just build it up saying that, you know, follow these three, then you're in Satya, then you're following the, you know, different values, you know, one is, you know, superimposing on the other. And then finally, it culminates into starting a good foundation for yourself to be able to come into the thoughts of, you know, uh, karma, palatyagam, et cetera, et cetera, going forward. I think the value system I thought was very important because if somebody starts to do certain things without having a right set of values and thoughts, it could probably derail the process is what I thought. Okay, I thought I should just say, thank you. Yeah. Uh, that's nice. Like Swamiji says, the values, following one value is like uh, eating noodles. You pick one noodle, other noodles will stick to it and then come along with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So uh, the, um, the, the other thing that struck me when I was reading this thing was this word called unwill, which he uses in somewhere in... The, I don't remember which shloka he uses. Um, Kutasta. Ah, okay. Shloka 8, he talks about this word called un, uh, unchanging, unchanging immutable in page 414, right? So, um, 
So the kutasta means that anvil on which you kind of you know, hammer things and make make it different shapes, right? Yeah. So it's it's a very interesting word for me because you know in uh, when I was reading this uh, uh, this thing uh, Panchadashi, there's this entire chapter called Kutasta Brahmana. Okay, and, and and it's very interesting. I want to share this with you guys. So if you if you look at uh, uh, if you look at speaking speaking the uh, truth, uh, Subhu, that you talked about, right? You know, when you look at the external world, first of all, we need to know what truth is to speak. Otherwise, we should not speak. So we need to find out what the truth is. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so if, if you look if you look at the entire world, you know, if we don't know what the truth is, then we're actually propagating lies. Correct. So, uh, so how do you know what the truth is, right? The so. Truth is- so the question is, the question comes to, you know, looking at, when you look at the external world, if you find that there is uh, anything that has got, that is changing, okay? Like, like, the, uh, like the leaves changing into, changing color or, or people changing their characters or people changing their opinions, then you know that these are all, uh, these are all changing. So they are not the truth. They are changing. Change, change is the truth, but the, the change itself is... Uh, uh, not the reality, right? That's not the truth. Then uh, the second thing that he says is that you have to look at dependency. Okay, so for example, uh, if, uh, uh, if 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 a tree is dependent on earth to grow or sunshine to grow or space to grow, that means by corollary, if you don't have any one of them, then it is not that that thing can't grow. That means when you have dependency on something, the one that is dependent uh, on on something, uh, one that is uh, you know dependent on is not the truth. Okay, so then the question is, okay, is, is the earth, take the analogy of the tree and the uh, earth, right? So the tree is dependent on the earth. And if you say that the earth is a reality, it's a relative reality, but is the earth itself, you know, it should be dependent on something, right? So then you keep on going and then you really find out what the truth is. Then the third thing is, you know, especially this is very good in relationships, right? In, in terms of interdependencies, interdependencies, like a cantilever bridge, right? You know, people, they form a relationship and they say, okay, you know, this is the, this is the reality for me. And this is, this is the best for me. You know, this person is the best for me. And that person is the best for me. And why? Because the, the he reciprocates or she reciprocates the way that I want. So that there's a dependency, the dependency. So, you know, it's like a two edges of a br- cantilever bridge trying to hold on to each other. Okay. And if you cut one thing, the other thing will also fall Everything off. Everything will fall off. So if there's a dependency and if there's something which is changing or something which is uh, 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 which is not not independent, then that quote unquote is not not the reality. Okay. Not so the there reality. is something that means there's always a base that we are trying to find on which all this change is happening, and that's the quest for the for the truth. What we are having, right? In terms of understanding what is the base that is not going to change, because if you're going to say this is change. Then you need to find a base which is not changing. Otherwise, you cannot say it is change. Sure. Beautiful. Thank you. I made a note. I have a question in terms of uh, people, you know, lifting self by self. I mean, 
I want to know how many people have really used this and what are I mean, ways one can do it in this particular way so that one can progress ahead in spiritual life. I wanted to have some real life examples if possible. Great question. Very good. I can go. I can go first. I, I never used to wake up pretty early in the day. But uh, over the last few years, I deliberately focused saying that I am going to wake up at 4 or 4.30 in the morning, come what may. Yes, there will be days that I've slipped and, you know, gone back into late, late nights and, you know, waking up late. But that was a battle in the morning when, you, when that alarm goes off. It is a big battle for me in the morning to really say, okay, should I sleep in for a couple of more hours or one hour, half an hour more or till the next snooze or then just spring up and get out of the bed. Okay. I think uh, it took me maybe a few years, I would say, to really practice this. I think that I'm, I'm, I feel very good about it because, you know, there, there's, a, there's a, not just the physical time that you get in the morning, but also the quality of the particular time and how you can use it. And then the next question comes about is how you're going to use the particular time, that one hour. You know, there's nobody, the entire, especially in the US, people, uh, it's already quiet here. On top of it, you know, in the morning, this very, very quiet. It's much more, uh, you know, uh, uh, conducive to do certain things. So these are the two things that I would like to state that as things that I have uh, consciously focused on to change and uh, took some time. And uh, I would say that... Uh, I, I probably would have the Atmanath least in waking up in the morning. Very nice. Good. Rajesh, it's nice, but what I want to ask you is how did you lift yourself in that? So, so I, I realized that there was a choice for me. Okay. The choice was either I can sleep or I can wake up. Right. And I had to make a decision. So they were every day I was making a decision saying that I'm going to sleep till the next snooze. So one day I said, I'm not going to make the decision. I'm going to make the alternate decision. So I took a different path. So imagine a fork, a decision-making fork. Every day I was going one path, one path. But one day I said, I'm not going to go this path. I'm going to go this path. That was hard to do. Then I continued following the particular decision. That's how I made the decision. Okay. Um, I can maybe go next. Right. Um, I think um, I was talking about the Satya, uh, you know, three points in Satya, right? Uh, path, which is like speak the truth, don't speak the untruth, and speak truth, which is palatable. Uh, somewhere this one hit like a bolt from the blue for me when I heard it at least some 10, 12 years back. Okay. And I said that, you know, if I really have to, you know, ensure that I walk the right path, you know, it's so easy to follow and it's something that I need to follow, you know, on a regular basis. I, this is something that I have imbibed. I try as much as possible to, you know, follow this, you know, point of, uh, you know, speaking out my mind, speaking the truth, what I, as I know it, and being very clear without any, you know, clauses in terms of, you know, what I probably think it is or what I actually see it as, as. okay. So that is, that is one thing that I've inculcated as a practice and it has helped me. Let me tell you that, um, truth is very powerful. Okay. Um, uh, if, uh, you know, if somebody was to even lie to me, etc. And, you know, I, uh, you can see through the person, you know, the body shows, body language shows, right? Um, so, so, so for me, I think uh, it was not easy in the beginning to start with, because uh, in corporate, you know, there are lots of 
places that you know you encounter uh, you know people trying to you know do wishy washy things and moving here and there etc but to me uh, sticking to my guns gave me two things because as i started speaking the truth what i realized was you know what i spoke earlier you know the importance of trikarana shuddhi that is you know um uh, thinking saying and doing you know the thinking and saying um uh, you know what you think you say right and uh, that is the courage a lot of times in you know you know in businesses you say that you know people know that they're not going to do certain things but they'll come and give you some story as to why they should you know do it like this or we'll end up doing it but it will never happen that's a courage which is missing to speak out the right thing that you think is going to happen right um the second thing is saying something and doing something which is the commitment saying that okay i will stick to what i'm doing right so typically uh, you know you need courage and commitment to be able to deliver a particular point so for me that you know speaking the truth was a starting point and then ensuring through my commitment whether i could do or not is a second point okay so to that to that extent i think my journey moved a little bit there um the third thing which i felt was um you know you, i when i just look back at all the you know practices that we have been having right um you know when i was young my mother used to say uh, you know tiruvannam fast you know no salt <laughs> okay for today's diet right uh, then there would be uh, some other ekadashi fast which is happening no don't eat this don't eat that etc so i said okay you know earlier days i used to do certain things in a certain way thinking just because my mother and father told me i have to do it but today i have come to a stage um where i think i'm more convinced of what is needs to be done i'll tell you why because when i went to bits just to give you an example um it's not that i was you know the the holy cow right in the sense uh, i have had my drinks a share of drinks i have had my share of cigarettes and i have had everything that is there um but the fact of the matter is that at that point in time when people questioned me about you know the thought process and the values that i had i didn't have a proper answer because my conviction wasn't great okay i did what exactly my parents had told me to do and i was doing and thinking that is the only way to lead life right but then as i moved forward i realized hey there's something that is missing here you know i i actually deviated i did all that was required i enjoyed all the sensory things what is there in the life etc but then later on it occurred to me that this is not giving me the inner peace that i desire right and slowly i started reading the book the first time i picked up the gita was when i was 39 okay and uh, after that is when i started you know this but i used to consistently listen to a lot of lectures that's something that really um sort of you know uh drew me quite close to you know swamiji's and other people so i used to listen to all the lectures and i used to say i would only want to take one element of that and try and put it into daily practice so if you look at all these things that are happening it's about how much you can get god into your daily life okay so early in the morning there dhyana meditation okay today i i forgot you know for example uh, there have been times i have got up late you know i have not been able to do it because i had a late night but next day in the morning i would get up i would not have guilt i would say hey listen god today you wanted me to get up at 7 o'clock you have made today what are my day starts here i will start my work from here that's about it no regrets there have been times in ekadashi fast when i have fasted for 7 8 uh, hours 10 12 hours by 7 o'clock 8 o'clock some i came home somebody offered me something i would eat it and then i would suddenly realize hey today i am supposed to be fasting on ekadashi why did i do this then immediately i would think and correct myself and saying maybe god wanted me to do that there have been many times when i would have thought that i would do my prayers and do my food but my food will be served much before okay even there i don't have regrets i'll say okay fine this is what you know you offered me today you want me to eat and then come to your dine uh, you know deity and the prayer room so i'm okay with that right so my point is that i think as and more you bring god into your daily life i think you are sanctifying all your you know thoughts words and actions
right so there is no regrets right and i think one needs to just cont- continue to do this even if for example you are t- tomorrow not able to do certain things you know because you had certain other things to do you do that as a service to god right i am supposed to do a presentation now after this i know that i will not be able to get up in the morning tomorrow but yes this is what you have asked me to do this is what you want me to do i will do this and let me do it for you i think as you start bringing god into your daily life i think slowly you start seeing life itself in a very very beautiful uh, face and a manner so that's been my learning um, i don't know whether it is udraya tatma but you know i think this is something that has helped me to you know move on to the journey in spiritual life i think that's that's my summation on that yeah. awesome thank you anybody else hi yeah, i can um, continue hi go ahead vidya i'll go sorry man yeah i, I totally uh, see where subhu is going and i really like how he said that you know do everything what you're doing just as an arpanam for uh, the lord or you know uh, whoever your ishta devata is and that has really helped me um, in last one or two years i would say um including you know today i was late and i said it's okay to be late but this this gathering is very important so i started with that and when subhu was talking for a minute i couldn't understand as i entered this room i couldn't understand because he was so fast and my mind was not ready to take that um it was not that subhu was fast it was just my mind was not ready to accept that and the moment i pardoned myself saying that you know this is only for lord that's why i'm doing it i could just understand whatever he was saying so that little thing you know one small thing if you just come back our mind wanders quite a bit it's it's not easy to bring everything together um, it's very easy to make any situation or anybody wrong but the moment you just bring uh, your thoughts back to this is only for yourself or the lord inside you the atman or brahman you know however you uh, perceive it uh things totally open up and it's just a beautiful how do i say it it's just so beautiful yeah um the other thing that i um i really benefited is um alpana had um, given us a, a kind of everyday meditation where it's a very small 5 minutes 10 minutes meditation but the powerful thing about it was to uh, pardon yourself and pardon everybody Uh, and sometimes it was so powerful to me i used to think like who should i pardon those thoughts would come but then there are some deep things that are just silent inside you which you don't even know and those thoughts will come at that time and you just pardon them and it's it's done so that that uh, that was really beautiful and uh, when you are you know when you're away from all those little thoughts that were deep rooted which you didn't even know about and they they come up i don't know where they come up from uh, i was surprised actually then again it it's just this vast ocean or vast universe that comes in front of you uh, that brings the concentration as like you and the whole universe is powerful so that has really benefited me in the sense that um it just uh, the example this morning i entered this meeting and first i had to pardon myself to be not late 
so it it again comes back to the same position that every minute you have to be present and you know thinking of the 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 brahman so beautiful vidya thank you i'm sorry next time i'll be a bit slower <laughs> oh no no no, no. It, it, i'm just showing yeah. the experience that yeah sure you know how i perceived you to be faster you know no i it, think it's just just brings me to another point no vidya because you know every moment you know every experience that we actually undergo no it's always a half glass half full right it's always a glass half full you know is like you know it's up to you as to how you bring in that positivity and say hey listen you know it's okay but you know i will now work on it to actually elevate myself which is again the udre tatmanam uh, you know sloka because it always talks about you know in all experiences how are you you know moving towards a higher self rather than degrading yourself to the lower self right mm-hmm. i think uh, all experiences are uh, always a glass half full which side you go it depends upon how you want to take it yeah mm-hmm. and yes, i really like how you talked about uh, sai baba's saying about the truth the four things um i have to practice that i haven't but i will but i think uh, i have never seen somebody break it down so simply for hmm. you know practical applications right so i think to say it in just three lines saying that satya marg is nothing about speak the truth don't speak the untruth and speak truth which is palatable and trust me vidya i mean i've been trying to be honest about it but it has really helped me okay yeah and it has given Thank me the you. courage to fight the situations in the world no huh? because you know that's the power with which i actually can you know uh, even talk to a senior member in the corporate you know be it the board member the managing director or anybody because i know what i'm talking and they would not be able to raise a finger on me before that very well very well said all the best i'll yeah. practice that i i do practice truth but not to the level that you explained today so sure. so there is a shloka in gita i will i don't remember the exact shloka it says sat it goes something like satyam priya hitam chayate swadhyaya abhyasanam chayva vangmayam tapam yeah, chayate so there is a shloka satyam priya hitam so that means we say something it has to be true it has to be uh, it has to be uh, said in a nice way and then priya is that that word and then hitam is it should be beneficial to the other person so you cannot say things to benefit you so even if it is if it is a truth if it benefits you then you got to think through whether you want to say it or not because then the ego aspect of it comes there so but if it is if it is not the if it's not the truth but if it benefits other person then you might want to say the untruth it's okay okay manu over to you rajesh if i can ask a quick question on what you just said yeah no the minute you add that priyam and the benefit right that becomes very subjective isn't it see truth was you know almost absolute is what we think but yes it is context specific but when you say that other person needs to like or it should not benefit you there are more filters that we are adding and then everybody's interpretation is going to be different doesn't it make it very very subjective no actually it does not it does not for example you know the uh, actually over a period of time uh, you know i realized that you know i also was thinking like that but it does not the best example that comes to my mind is uh, uh, what swami ji uh, swami ji used to say you know uh, 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 a patient goes to the doctor and uh, uh, you know the guy is on the operating table and the doctor knows it's it's a it's it's like a gone case right at that point of time you know you know he cannot tell the patient that you know you are a gone case because the moment he do that his the the person's energy is already withdrawing completely and he's not able to cooperate okay he might go to his relatives the doctor might go to his relatives who are waiting in the waiting room 
and then he might say you know it looks like this is a gone case depending on that circumstance but for the patient where at this point of time he needs the patient's cooperation to him okay and without his cooperation anyway he's gone so at that point of time the the doctor telling him saying that let's try it out let's do it you're good you know we it, it should work out will give more confidence to the patient to to cooperate in the surgery or whatever the procedure is right so he uses this example and he says that in the mood you think about but at that point of time if the, if the guy is thinking oh man this is a uh, this is a bunch of uh, you know muscles and bone which i put them in the in the hospital for 3 days on ventilator i'm going to make 3 lakhs then i'm going to tell him you have to cooperate with me now because you're going to get better then you see the difference between both these two quality of talk what what the doctor is having the intent i think that's where the intent yeah exactly yeah mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. i think to to suppose point if uh, to if we start practicing that we will suddenly realize that you know even if you say an untruth if you realize that you know it is said in the other person's benefit i think you'll be okay you'll start you'll feel a little bit more liberated actually mm-hmm. Actually. just to add to that i think it's like all you still hold the dharma as the compass that's yeah, like correct. the main guiding principle thinking see you're also when you're, when you're see also i'll tell you in corporate uh, when you have really large teams right you know um, you know 1000 2000 people etc and you are seen as one of the leaders for the group <clears throat> you know if you really practice the satya right uh, principle and the dharma that you're talking about right people exactly know whether subu will like this or subu will not like this okay so when decision making has to happen across various levels right um you know it is not n minus 1 n minus 2 n minus 3 n minus 4 if anything is being said at that point in time people know that the compass you know as to what the leader will say about it whether it will be acceptable not acceptable so as a principle if you're consistent with what you do right then it's easy for the other person to understand you and you know deliver in line with the you know uh, requirements so i think that is something that i also realized uh, that the more and more you practice it and the more and the more you you know uh, you're clear about what you say and what you uh, what you think and what you say and what you do um, people tend to trust you more people tend to understand you more and people tend to deliver more okay the reason they trust is they know that you know he's not going to say something to me and something to somebody else you know right and they start to trust because then you start to connect you start to trust and then they will definitely you know end up uh, you know understanding me more uh, so the leader gets easily understood and also the, as a result of which the you know the delivery also is much better so this has been my learning so far in my journey yeah. manu sorry you had to wait for some time no no worries that was a great discussion your audio um, is very low no we can hear is it okay this is much better for me yeah. okay i'll just hold the mic closer um so i just wanted to share you know one of my biggest uh, uh, problems if you will is how much i think about you know stuff that is uh, like experience bad experiences you know dwelling on bad experiences and and it really um, is sort of uh, hard to get past and it it's been worse in the past um but now you know i'm um, actually this my my younger daughter once said that you know why must we think so much about bad things like why we never think about good things so much and why do we keep thinking about bad things and i'm like you know that's 
a wonderful way to think about it. And yeah, it's, you know, I have to just let it go. Um, and, and that's, you know, a, a work in progress for me, but like yesterday something happened in the morning and all day it was bothering me all day. I'd been thinking about it. So nothing that, you know, I couldn't do anything about it. And it wasn't even something that anything needed to be done for, but it just, you know, I just kept thinking about it all day to the extent that I was really not able to be effective um, in anything else that I was doing until the evening when suddenly I was reminded about what my daughter had said. And I'm like, oh yeah, I have to practice, uh, you know, I have to basically let this thought go. And once I did that, it was just so good. I'm like, oh, it was, this was easy. It wasn't that hard to let it go. But, um, you know, I, I have to, uh, my learning yesterday was like, I have to be more active and letting things go rather than, you know, harboring those thoughts. I, and I, I think it comes back to what Vidya was talking about, you know, um, uh, forgiving yourself, forgiving other people. It, it's basically that same sort of, uh, you know, train of thought. Um, but I just wanted to share, you know, my experience with it. It's still work in progress, but hopefully sure. I'll get there sometime. Wonderful, Manu. I just wanted to add one thing, huh? Um, it's um, always, you know, forgive and forget, okay? People forgive, but a lot of times we take a lot of time to forget it, you know? And why we say forgive and forget is that um, at the end of the journey, right? When you forgive and forget, only then healing starts for any of the unpleasant experiences that you may have had, okay? So that's the only line I wanted to add. Yeah, I, I, that is so right. And it is the forget part that is really yeah. hard for me. Yeah, and, and which is and what your daughter is saying, right? Yeah, exactly. That you hold on. And that's that's the basic, in, you know, psychology, right? Basically, what happens is that, you know, anything good, we tend to forget very quickly. And anything bad, we sort of, I don't know why we cherish it so much. We just hold on to it <laughs> for, know. A, you know, years, right? Right. Yeah. And, you know, this happened some 20 years back in the wedding. This happened, that happened. You would have heard many people in the family speak about it. Right. I used to always wonder, you know, why not let go? It's OK to let go. It's OK. It's just yeah. that the ahankar is just, just holding it back. Right. Yeah. And uh, once you forgive and forget, only then healing starts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the other point I wanted to say. All yeah, the best. I, I, think the, I think the forgetting the, is yeah. the hard part. And that's yeah. what I need to work on. Because once you like let it go, it's like forgotten. You know, it's out of your yeah. mind. And you can move on. So and... actually, Manu, uh, I, I would I would uh, slightly disagree to what Subhu is saying. Forgive and forget is probably not the important thing. Forgive and remember it, but then defang it. That's what I would say. Because there's no, there's no point in trying to forget it. Why do you want to spend extra energy to forget something that has happened? Let's accept it as a fact that it has happened, but then let's not impact it. Impact it. Impact yeah, us. I, I think the... Uh, I, maybe it's just semantics, but I, I feel forgetting is basically like putting it out of your mind, you know, okay, yeah. I, I don't not want to it. spend any more cycles thinking about this topic. It is okay. not important. It is not, you know, that is, know. that is correct. But my point is, my point is there's no need to forget that is make effort to forget that incident because let's say if somebody is, somebody is behaving badly with us and we, you know, we, we have for, for, forgiven that person, but we keep remembering that person that, yes, oh, this person's psychology is like this. That's a good thing, actually, to remember. But, you know, let it not affect us is probably what I would say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're saying the same thing. Shamla? 
Yeah, I just wanted to add, uh, Manu, I can't uh, believe that you are describing exactly what I wanted to say. It is, it is very difficult, work in progress, but I do feel I'm making progress. And I wanted to share what, what is happening there. You know, um, an, an, an um, imaginable amount of time, you know, kind of keep thinking about things again and again and again. That, that's how I was. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like that still, but definitely getting better. Threefold, I think the last two years knowledge really helped me. And uh, I'm applying what Kishore used to say, that the diagram is very clear and vivid in my mind, the Pratipaksha Bhavana, and how we engage with the thought, right? And I think he had a diagram, I remember, where the more you engage, the bigger the, it becomes in terms of the bubble size. So, and when you engage, don't engage with a similar thought, but maybe an opposite thought. So three thoughts that I am trying to imply uh, or, you know, apply here. One is, you know, the other person is also soul on journey. So they, they are going ahead with their experiences. And second is, you know, maybe it's nothing to do with me. I used to also victimize myself, not just think about it. Could I have contributed to it? Could I have done anything different and so on and so forth? Maybe that's nothing to do with me. And then the third question that I get is, then why am I experiencing this? I think, you know, this is what is required for my growth, my, my personal growth uh, of sorts, right? So not every single time I'm able to sit down and say all of these things. But when I kind of catch myself, why am I thinking about something for the last four or five hours on which I can't do anything at all? I think this um, thought forcibly inserted helps me stop the free fall. Right. No, so, but it, it's very, very uh, interesting that you said it. My my biggest challenge has been related in terms of you know how do you uh, the, the whatever has happened impacts me quite a bit in terms of relationships. Um, a, a harsh word uh, spoken, harsh word said, um, some disagreement, etc. It just keeps on going in the mind as to how you could have helped. Sometimes you couldn't have helped at all. So, and it's such a waste of energy. And that also I realized going down the path is, you know, just sucks the energy out of you. The minute you decide to, like you just said, let go, you know, however difficult it is, you just feel that you're getting your energy back. Literally, you feel you're just going down, 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 down. The minute I said, no, you know, it could be a distraction. It's as simple as let me go dress up. Let me go for a walk. Let me go for a run. Whatever you do to kind of reverse the trend oh, picks you back up so much. So those experiences kind of, you know, uh, help you to catch yourself in the future as well. Awesome. Well said. Yeah. Well said. So Mahesh, to, to your question, uh, maybe just circling back with you, uh, was this helpful discussion to get some pers perspectives? Yes, definitely. Definitely. I liked all the way examples given. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. No. One thing. What I noticed is that if you if you if you if you if you just reflect back on the discussion after Mahesh asked the question, all of us either consciously or unconsciously have uh, started anchoring on the side of the inverse side, right? Some of us have anchored to extreme to the extreme to the extent of saying that okay, it's it's Ishwara, Ishwara, uh, you know, whatever grace today that that's what is happening, and then you start moving in. But assume that one did not have that. Uh, 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 knowledge to anchor this side, where would one have anchored? Think about it that way. You know, if someone did not have that anchor of Ishwara, where would they would have anchored? If someone has been, let's say, more emotional or let's say more sensory involvement, 
they could only perhaps move to one level more, which is cutting off the sensory involvement of eating, let's say, more food, more tasty food kind of dependency, and you know, figuring out how they can move one step beyond. And if they're more emotional, they can move one step beyond. But then they will stop there. They'll become totally, I would say, uh, uh, you know, unempathetic people who are cut and throat rational people. But then they have to start anchoring somewhere else. And you will find those kind of people, right? People who have, who have moved beyond, beyond the, you know, the food pleasure kind of a thing, who are totally, totally rational beings, I, I would say. But you may not find them very interesting or, you know, you may find that something is lacking in them. That's when you have to move beyond that. Mukund has something to say. Yeah? Mukund? Hey, uh, just uh, <clears throat> on this, you know, the um, question of Mahesh, the kind of the way uh, I've used it is um, if, if there is a spiritual principle, right? For example, uh, Isha Vashem, you know, Vidam Sarvam, right? Any, any take, any principle, right? Satya is one principle that we're talking about here, right? Um, so apply that principle to its purest form. Right, any life situation, uh, right? Because that's kind of what you know. That's kind of the application. As an example, I'll give you right. Uh, see the if you kind of slowly go into Gita and also Upanishads, right? The one clear thing that comes is the you manifest anything in front of you, right? Whatever is happening in in front of you, you're manifesting it. You as in like the smaller identity that you carry. Right? If you have a subordinate who's not listening to you, if you're having a conflict with your spouse, as an example, right? If you're losing money in your business, or if you're becoming wealthy, right? All any anything good, bad, and ugly is a manifestation of your smaller identity, which means that you put a uh, the 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 movie that you're watching in front of you, the slide has been put by you, right? This is one one principle, right? But it's an extremely difficult principle to apply because you know you're having an argument with your spouse, and then you are saying, "How am I creating it?" Right. So to me, this sutra is you have, even though you may the mind may say always point to the other, blame the outside, uh, you know, tend to say he could have done better, she should have done better, I should do a one-on-one -on -one with you, whatever, right? Blah blah blah. But when you sit and reflect, you have to go back to the principle. And whether you understand or not, and try to reconcile the whole situation from the principle. And then what happens is you're purifying yourself. And if you kind of apply it this way, you start slowly seeing that how you're operating from the smaller identity and how you move towards a larger identity, which is the Paramatma, Paramash, whatever you call it. But it is that um, the Shraddha which is needed to operate that. It's very easy to point our fingers and drop it and go away on any truth. I'm just saying, I'm applying it as an example on this truth that uh, everything manifests from you, right? But it could be satya, it could be any, any other principle. But always stick to the principle and the way it is, the pureness of the principle, right? And when it reckons, when it does not, even when it does not, like uh, you, you're not able to ex accept that, right? How can, how am I responsible for a subordinate who stole something and ran away? Correct? It's a very arbitrary, I mean, it's almost impossible to reconcile. But even in difficult situations, the truth is you are responsible. You manifested it. Then you try to reconcile. Then you'll see beautiful insights about who you are. 
uh, it gets revealed to you again and again and again and, and you know it's, it's a very beautiful journey that way don't let go of the principle because it you are not able to reconcile that is what you have to hold yourself and then the you will making evolve you to higher 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 understandings if you hold to the principle pureness of the principle that's kind of how i apply it that's a, that's simple interpretation beautifully said muko krishna um so i wanted to uh, share one on the other side to uh, earlier so my so i work as a research engineer and what happens is i see fail 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 one experiment is good when and then again fail 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 it keeps on going like that and when you get the negative results or something bad happens it's very easy to say oh this is my karma or like i need to keep trying or perseverance and so on uh, but i found that like uh, when it is karma phala for a positive thing it's very hard to hard to give it up to so this week finally like some one of my experiments that i have been working like a year and a half plus finally came to positive when i was saying oh man my like hard work is finally paying off but thankfully thanks to geeta udrayad atmana atmanam i had to apply i said no 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 nimitta matram bhava i am just the instrument maybe bhagavan wants something big and i am just like making it happy and i gave it up and this is like kind of actually my confession to this group too if i ever kind of boast about it hit my head with a baseball bat <laughs> but but yes so it it happens so that uh, the other part to uh, and we are it's so ironic like last week and no not ironic but coincidental that last week and this week we are talking about karma palatyagam and and it was extremely very hard to do like it's it's you you could almost connect the whole thing oh i did this experiment i came up with this idea i did this i did this and you could see how many times that i pops up and uh, but yeah even even for the the happy good things uh, the karma palatyagam and having the anchor to ishura like a sadeshan uh, that's the uh, the the correct way to go the, the that that application kind of relieves your mind that if something changes who knows maybe next week something will change maybe i think it's a good idea my paper will get rejected <laughs> you just move on uh, one one more thing want to add on the the previous uh, wonderful sharings uh, swamiji has this nice thing uh, saying it is the nature of the mind and the intellect to analyze go towards worldly objects connect and you cannot like suddenly stop desire or stop your mind that will not work yes a very nice uh, english words is a suppression and oppression will only lead to more depression uh, so only thing we can do the way it connects to udrayat atmana is only you can turn your mind and desire to a higher object oh i want to read bhagavad gita oh i want to apply this i want to go to a temple or i want to be part of this bhajan or satsang so your desire is still there your mind is still interacting but you just turn the object from the lower type of things to a higher type of wish and that will keep lifting you up and down thanks awesome krishna thank you vidya last uh, last words from you today and then we will conclude our session today uh, thanks krishna that was really awesome and that reminded me of one of the uh, you know recent uh, examples that i can share um on september 11th for um, you know um, the twin tower um uh what do you call um to to commemorate those uh, um people we had two westford um folks who had passed away on september 11 so we had gone to kind of a, a memorial and i met the uh, mayor of uh, massachusetts westford person who had become a mayor um in massachusetts area 
And he was talking small talk. Um, and because I'm the chair of Westward Cultural Council in this town, uh, he wanted to meet me and he, he had something in his mind. But we were talking about, you know, how um, Atlanta is and Georgia is because my daughter went there. And he said something which was, oh, I have seen Atlanta with a lot of, uh, you know, meat eating and drinking and all that thing. But I know that you don't eat meat and drink. And to me at that point, because we have been in this satsanga, to me, it looked as if he's just saying things, but it doesn't affect me and him and I are same. It just that thought came for, a, for that fraction of a second, just because we are in this satsanga. And I said, is there a difference? I just said that. And out of the blue, it came. And that's where I'm saying it's just the practice that we are doing. It came like that. And he just looked at me and said, yes, there is no difference. And he turned around to say that there's no difference between a white person and me, right? There's, there's no difference. And there was a, a pin drop silence in that conversation. And it, it felt as if we both are just connected. And then the next thing he said is, I want you to come to me and see how we can have this cultural council become a better place for Westport. And I said, wow, this conversation just happened because of one thought that we <coughs> put in. It's just not me, but him too, together saying that we are just one person. And Krishna, when you said that about failure, 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 and then suddenly it's all because of the, you know, it's, it's, it's for the, uh, the Brahman or the Lord that we are doing. It's not a failure. It's neither a success we are just one, then it, it, it's, it's a, such a big, uh, you know, thought that comes, we can trans, you know, transport that across cultures, across colors, across diversity, and we don't even have to talk about all those words. It's just plain simple. So I just wanted to share that. Wonderful, yeah. Awesome. So thank you, Vidya, for that uh, uh, finale. And uh, we will conclude with our concluding prayer. And I think I'll, I'll look up the shlokas and probably send out a note on the group to what we will cover for the next week. All right. Om Sarve Bhavantu Sukhinaha Sarve Santu Niramaya Sarve Bhadrani Pashyantu Ma Kaschit Dukkha Bhaga Bhavet Om Shanti 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 Shri Guru Bhyona Maha Hari Om All right, everyone, enjoy your Sunday and see you next weekend. Hari Om. Thank, thank you. you. Hari Om. Bye-bye.